Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. This is BIPOC Credits, a show that shines a light on the Black, Indigenous, and people of color who work in the booming BC film industry with high hopes of creating a more diverse Hollywood North behind and in front of the camera. Want to learn about the people behind your favorite movies and TV shows? Keep listening. Want to learn how to survive and thrive in the film industry? Keep listening. Want to convince your parent or guardian to let you be a part of the film industry? Keep listening. Welcome to BIPOC Credits. Here's your host, Andy Wong. Welcome, welcome. This is BIPOC Credits. My name is Andy Wong, and I'm the host of this podcast. On this episode, I talked to my good friend, visual artist, and filmmaker, Joshua Lamb, about his experience as a production coordinator in animation. He jumped really quickly into this position, and he talks about how to cope with imposter syndrome when moving up too quickly. Something a lot of us have experienced, myself included, because of how busy it's gotten in the BC film industry. The production coordinator is a managerial position that intertwines the animation artists with the above-the-line creators and producers. It's a role that requires a lot of communication and is filled with responsibilities. Luckily, Josh is a really great listener and really knows how to take all the information he gets and turn it into actionable items. Uh, With his charm, he was able to get through those really tough days and come out with some really good lessons. I met Josh during the uh, Vancouver Asian Film Festival, and if you guys ever get a chance to uh, attend this event, I say definitely go for it because the community there is so welcoming and who knows, you might even be able to meet someone like Josh or maybe Josh himself. So without further ado, here is Joshua Lamb. Thanks so much for um, agreeing to do this, uh, Josh. Really appreciate you being here. Of course. What did you What did you do as an animation production coordinator? Like, what What is that job? Oh man. Um. So, I was I was actually very fortunate to come out of uh, out of like a uh, university and get a job within six months, and I, I started an animation company. And what 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 they kind of get you to do first when you're um well again this is very specific to every every company in in, in the lower mainland is very different and how they operate um i only had the chance to work at one so but how they operated was um for me people who kind of don't have the animation background but i had film they're they're very they're similar but there's a lot of dissimilar things to it 
Um, I actually worked as a, a storyboard. I worked in storyboards first, which is essentially exactly where, you know, the thought process and the, the concept of storytelling comes from. And then from there, I kind of did other tasks and worked in other departments. So went from there to animation. Um, I touched a little bit on like some modeling stuff on some like um, background stuff. And again, this was all CG. Um, 2D is obviously a whole entire different uh, workflow. And uh, 2D is much easier. But you did 3D. I did 3D. Your job was to basically get the storyboard and then you using the storyboard, you would like communicate with all the other departments on what they needed. It, essentially, if I were to water it down, that is how it goes. But um, the first part of storyboarding, actually, what you have to do is that you have to get approval from the uh, from the executives. So um, depending on, you know, because again, uh, we are, uh, Vancouver is a bit of a service industry. Um, and, and, and so where I worked at, obviously we had people in LA or other places that needed to get their approval first before you move on to the animation stage. So you get these boards done and, you know, there's a, there's like a, there's like a, a timeline when you have to get these done. So, you know, some storyboard artists actually for most times you have like a weekly quota. So you have to get, so a lot of teams would be like, have like what, like a month to board out. Right. But it's all oh. on like a, it's all on a Gantt scale. Am I right? That's what's called a Gantt schedule. You may have to Google this really quick. I'm pretty sure it's Gantt. It's been a while since I've done a Gantt chart, but it's Gantt. Let's see. A Gantt with yes. two Ts? Gantt with two Ts. It is called Gantt chart. So um, Gantt schedule is also another one as well. Um, basically, it's like, um, you know, you kind of map out your whole schedule and you, and you kind of oversee where the overlap is uh, on the schedule. So they, it's all based by weeks. And it's this huge-ass timeline. Right. So here you go, folks. A Gantt chart is a type of bar chart that illustrates a project schedule named after its inventor, Henry Gantt, who designed such a chart around the years 1910 to 1915. Modern Gantt charts also show the dependency relationships between activities and the current schedule status. And that is from Wikipedia. Okay. Um, that's how we actually schedule things on the, on the production. And, and, and essentially, every single storyboard team would finish on this chart. So obviously, it, like, and that's on an episodic schedule. So, you know, this Friday, that ends. This Friday, same Friday, same Friday, but a different team is working on different episodes. And they jumpstart to the next one uh, for another month. That's how episodic, uh, that's how the episodic I was on was scheduled to be. Um, and it's actually essentially a lot very similar to um, the rest of the timeline. Uh, once you hit animation, once you hit, um, um, not even that, animations are totally, so in animation, I was actually able to do their storyboards, uh, modeling, so you're, you're modeling the, uh, the characters almost like from clay in a way uh i didn't even talk about concepts yet that actually happens should be happening before boards before um, storyboards right before yeah. storyboards because you know then the artists know what they're actually you know manipulating um but your job as a production coordinator um isn't actually doing all of these things is it or is no it is not i and, and you know and that's actually one of my vices was um uh i'm a i'm a i'm a very hands-on person and how I learn is essentially, um, I'm, 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 I'm an artist first, I'm an artist first and foremost. I like to get my, my hands in there and I want to learn how to make things first before right. I step back and, and give like a, like a more good estimate on how long it's going to take. Um, that's just how I, I normally work. Um, so no, sadly, I didn't get the chance to ever make anything. That's a, it's obviously that's a bit more specialized skill. Right. Um, if I were to jump into it, I'd probably have to go to school or something to kind of get those, 
skills working but i i wish i could your job was more coordinating with the people who actually did do it and and were you giving like time timelines to them and everything as well so so how it essentially work is um you always have to kind of go back to your pm your your production manager or your producer and you say hey turns out and even your director too you need to talk to all, everybody who's actually kind of heads up there and you have to ask them hey um, guess what artist so-and-so told me that they actually cannot get this done in time. Um, for me, as a production coordinator, I have to think of some solutions first to pitch to them on how we could get back on schedule. Because obviously you don't want to like, you don't want to be the person who's like, guess what, they can't get it done. And then, you you know, you don't want your higher ups to kind of think of it on their own. You kind of like say, hey, so uh, so-and-so told me they can't get it done. Either one, we could offer them, uh, uh, you know, overtime which obviously we wouldn't because, you know, that's actually more sanctioned. Maybe they couldn't finish. There's no different ways that somebody couldn't have finished their work. Um, and that has to be assessed. But maybe based on my assessment, I could say that. Maybe we, maybe we, were, we overgave them a quota. Maybe, maybe it was our own, all of us, we miscalculated and we said, oh, shoot. We thought we could give it all to them, but they couldn't do it. Um, then either A we'd, or B, I'd say, hey, they can't get it done in time. But I realized artist C's just finished. Can we ask artists see if it's okay if they could take some of the quota because they finished early? That's interesting that um, you're as a coordinator, you're in charge of uh, like thinking of these solutions and pitching it to to the higher ups because uh, that sounds like a really big job. <laughs> I, I'd say the coordinator is a very important position because what it is is that we are like the first point of contact, right? To to anything, you know. So the artist will always either they'll only almost either only talk to the director or the coordinator. These are essentially the only two people they talk to um, for most artists. Um, unless if they have a super, for supervising director or like an animation director, it depends on who their supervisors are. They would only talk to supervisors and coordinators first. Then the PM and the producer is like way last. Right. Did you ever find that exhausting <laughs> or anything? Like, It's a lot of pressure. It was difficult for me at the times because COVID hit and um, honestly, I was still learning and I'm still, I was still trying to grow and understand, you know, how to coordinate because I, I switched I switched from a show to actually like a movie and they're they're essentially the same but they run differently a bit because it's almost like a feeling once you're done an episode you feel like oh the, all of the work's done okay we can move on to the next episode and it's almost like as if you're pumping out a short film every single week which is a bit refreshing right you you, you restart right. restart restart but when it comes to cinematic because right, it's episodic so it's like a new thing every every week every episode yeah Right. But it's kind of funny, though, because if you think about it, though, quota wise, it's the same. The quota right. is the same. Everything's the same. The story, though, is different. And that's what I think impacts our human brains because we don't operate on like a robotic system. I mean, that's what makes it interesting. It's the, the how the story is different every time. So it feels like you're doing something different, even though like you're technically doing the same thing. Because like, because essentially what I would do, I would I would receive the script and I'd read it first. Right, every single every single week, I get a fresh script. Oh yeah, okay, fresh script, fresh script. But when it came to but cinematic, to the movies, you will get a draft, and then you know tweaks from the writer, tweaks from the writer, and you get it again and again and again, and then and by it's then, constant, yeah. And it's like it's 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 I I gotta say it's a bit tiring because I guess it's like no, it's just like you know you gotta fix things that might not work for the animation or the boards or. Right. And like, oh, this thing is too complicated. And, and these revisions would come in like while the artists are working on their on on their projects already. It shouldn't be. But um, some projects, so, some some things happen on production where obviously, you know, you have to push forward, even if you have a script that's not locked. Right. Um, sometimes that happens and you have to make do. 
But in those situations, you know, it does get tiring because obviously I think we've all worked on films in our, in our previous projects where obviously scripts are not locked, but you have to keep production moving. Right. I mean, Andy, you've made so many shorts, right? So you've you've been on like that back end. I mean, live action's the same way, like working on, uh, working on Hallmarks or, or just working on any like TV show or, or movies, you, um, you often get new revisions while you're shooting and it would like sometimes it's as late as like the the stuff that you're shooting the day of you would get revisions the morning of and you're like okay well now we have to find a big fire pit at you know 1 a.m at night like, that actually okay. sounds worse <laughs> that actually sounds a lot worse than what i have to deal with because stuff that we had to do we, we get the draft but then we would like uh luckily um the higher ups are able were able to fight for certain things, right? Sometimes you're not that lucky. Yeah. You know, sometimes you're um whatchamacallit? The the investor, you know, they might not be as open to listen to these artistic changes. They might want things a certain way. So you're stuck and you might have to push out a product that you actually are confident that it's not gonna work out. Um, but luckily um, we had enough, you have enough time to discuss it or do things. Whereas what you just described is like, literally that would never, I, I actually, oh, okay. I, I see never. That's because I've never been on a project where that kind of stuff happens. It's amazing what the art department can pull up sometimes. Like it's really incredible what they do. And that's what the beauty thing, beautiful thing about live action is like, it's, it's, if things can be made, the things are just there for you to grab just in case if you, you, you need to grab it, right? Like we need a trash can or we need like. Coca, obviously, if it's stuff that you need to paint and make and stuff, that's like you can't really schedule that in. That's kind of effed. But like things that you can outsource. Oh, we need to get a handgun. You know? Yeah. You don't. You All right, let's find. Let's look at Facebook Marketplace. Yeah. Whereas, like, <laughs> for. Exactly. But for animation, it's like someone has to build that. Someone has to yeah. design that. That has to go through five different, five different um, OKs and six different, like five different levels, right? Because you got to go from concept, concept and design to um, modeling. To rigging, rigging is where it's like they give the they give the points of 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 animate like uh like so if I if you're designing a gun, someone has to put rigging points on the on the trigger in order for it to blast, to shoot right. But the modeling won't do that. So it, if if you were to do a last minute change, you have to go through like so many different departments to get it done, and that's not you can't get that done in a day. Yeah, you could actually if everybody stopped working on what they're doing. And you halt production on like a bunch of different stuff just to get it done. Um, you could, but your your point is well taken though. Like that's there's so many so many things that you have to do in order to you know even create a minor change. You have to keep a lot of more things in mind, department wise. Right. If you grab a fireplace, then then you're not just talking to the concept artists and the modelers and the riggers. Then you start talking to um the, the effects people, and you, then you start talking to lighting. And you start calling, talking to render and composition. Oh man! Then you talk to four other departments, <laughs> right? And and as a coordinator, you're you're in charge of you know communicating with all these people about these changes, right? That's essentially what the coordinator does. It's say like if one person does a small change in one department, you need to talk to six other ones. But by then, if it's that big, you got to go talk to your PM. You got to go talk to the producer because if it's that big, that's like an issue that like it just skipped seven steps. Did you did you get any help with like all that communication? Because that yeah, that's a, that's a lot of work. Like, did you get any help? Like, did you get any uh, assistance or anyone working below you? You know what? No one below. But I had um, you know, I had I had my higher ups and I had my um other fellow coordinators who who did help out and, and gave me pointers 
So on one production, is there usually more than one coordinator then? Yes. So usually what we try to do is like, or what they try to do is um, get specific coordinators for specific parts. Did you have any experience in this before you started taking these this job? No. So what was your first day on 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 at work like? Like how did you handle that? Um, actually, you know what? It was good. I had a great PM. She she uh, she showed me the ropes. She was very kind, very patient, uh, very caring, very listening. She was she was a she was an amazing person to work with. Um, and, and she took the time to train me and help me understand a lot of the things because her background was also live action as well. Um, so I was, I was very lucky that we shared that kind of like, um, relationship. So, and, and, and she took the time to be able to like walk me through things or watch out. Can you talk about like how you got, how you got the job in the first place? I would say by chance, I think it was a fluke. Um, just because I never had, uh, experience in animation, but I love animation mm-hmm. and I love personally. I, I did show you guys some stuff, but I th- there's some work I do. I do a little bit of 2D stuff, just fun things. I do comics. I just like, you know, I do little kitschy stuff. Um, and my background's more in like, obviously, my background then was actually more in editing and videography. Um, so I just had all those kind of experiences. And maybe because I, I, I appeared to be very well-rounded in what I did and what I do still to this day, um, I think maybe they, they saw that I was a very flexible person because I love every single thing. I love production of, of anything in film. I love making the props. I love the editing. I love the Foley. Like, if you give me something in a production that I can make, I will make that thing. I don't care. I will make it because I yeah. love making. It doesn't matter what you yeah. give me. Uh, you know, so like, give me the on the lighting. I would love to work on the lighting and figure out what lights that we need to do to fill in the space to, to bring it out, you know? So I think because I had that energy and I had that in my resume, I guess, and when I talked to the PM, I guess maybe it just showed that to just show that I was flexible because I, I believe I I am a flexible person when it comes to making yeah. things. Right, because you're eager and you're well rounded. That's why they trust you to you know know what other people have to do because you kind of know you're well rounded in that way. Well, try to like I guess it's it, again it was different because um, because when it came to those other departments in in live action movies and films, um, you know I had the chance to make things like that. You know I had a chance in film school to to be production designer. I had the chance to be a gaffer in film school. Like I had all these opportunities to be these things, but when you got an animation, no, I never had the chance to be a modeler, a rigger, um, you know, all these things with an industry, a storyboard artist never had the opportunity. So I'm thinking, obviously, if, if I were to go back in time in a different timeline, if I had the opportunity to be in an animation school and actually just do all of the departments, then maybe, yeah, of course, I think that would have made me a much more efficient production coordinator because then I I fought the battle and now, right now, this is just the battle that's actually done on a industrialized scale. It became a much steeper learning curve going into the job because you don't have that training. Oh yeah, of course, that technical. Yeah. And, it, and and for me, that's just how I work. Is I need to know that technical creative that technical creative relationship. Right. How do how do they con- how do they converge? Like that's kind of what makes me what I think a, a very good AD is because I I know what all the departments need because I've kind of been a part of. I've, I've tried being a grip. I've tried being an LX, and I, I know, uh, I, I know like general info about what is needed for certain scenes to work and things like that. And so I know how to communicate with them. I I like to think, um, but uh, yeah, uh, that's uh, I guess like someone that knows all of these little things about all these other departments is someone that would be really good at coordinating and and managing in in that sense. It's just 
you got to know all these things in the right field. <laughs> what I'm saying is that's for me as a person. Um, if I were to mm-hmm. actually give a broader, uh, a broader overview of what a production coordinator is, you don't actually have to have a film background either. I've worked with a lot of production managers or production coordinators who their background was film studies or even like sociology. You know, they never even had that. But what they did before looking at their history, they did do short films after they did their their major where, you know, their majors weren't very hands on. They went through the trenches themselves after they graduated. That's a different that's a different that's a different career path, which I want everyone to know is that, of course, you don't have to have gone through film school. You don't have to have gone through all those things to get to this job or any other job in the industry. Um, You just have to have the tenacity to learn and communicate. That's the number one thing you need as a coordinator, because as a film student, I'm very hands on. So how I learn is manual stuff. But if you don't have that manual skill, a lot of the what it is to be a production coordinator is the active listening and the active application of what you're listening to. Right. Um, and knowing what you're listening to is those are like the three important things um, as, a, as a production coordinator who wouldn't have had previous experience on the technical side. You were pretty young, though, to, to be in that position to need to like tell people what to do. Did anyone ever like not listen to you because you were too easygoing or because of your age or anything uh, like that? Uh, <laughs> uh, I mean, who wouldn't? Who wouldn't, who wouldn't want to pick on the, the young new guy? I, I feel like that's a that's something that happens to people like us who who jump in and get things done because it's like some people have gone through the water a long time. Um, other people might see it as like, oh, it's an easy way in. Or um, again, and that's where you need to kind of show up and say, hey, this is me and this is what I do. I'm not going to take that kind of attitude. Um, for me, I was a bit of a mixture of both. Um, some of them were higher ups, and I I can't I can't be that person to to have the same attitude back. So all you can do is do the professionalism that you would do at retail. Yeah. Of course, of course, of course, ma'am. Have a good day. For sure, this is the best I can do for you at this at this exact conjecture. I bid you adieu. Well, actually, not exactly like that. That's mocking. But um, you know what I mean. It's that professionalism that, that you would build up if you worked at retail, right? You get the angry, angry Karens or Chads. How about the... Uh... The ones like the the artists and and the the people who you were telling them like what they had to do. You know, generally the artists are very nice. The artists are very oh, good. Oh, that's great. I thought the artists were very very kind and they very they understood what the pressures of production have to do. Right, production is a beast, wrangling the beast. Right, because creatives, right, we oh 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 they're going everywhere. They see all the different concepts and ideas. It's like all of time is like existing at the same, you know, it's like, man, artists are crazy. I love them. Their minds are awesome. But yeah, like to, 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 to wrangle them, to, to get them to make something that's like producible. That's like, um, you know, they understand somebody has to be there to, to wrangle it. Right. Um, cause you know, right. ideas can go anywhere and everywhere. Right. Like even, even you and I, when we have ideas, it's like going bonkers cause it could go anywhere. <laughs> but then our production side is like, no, okay. Center, 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 center. So it's like, Obviously, in the industry, you need people who are separate and separate that because then they can focus on the one job, the one job. Yeah. Um, so actionable items. Exactly. Yeah, think, think, think in the actionable items. Yeah. So it's so the artists were very nice uh, and and understood where you know we're coming from as a coordinator, right? We're not obviously it's different if I was a PM, then they'd be like, oh, no, no, no. you're the decision maker, you're the one who makes me suffer, but you're the one who gives me money. <laughs> you can definitely complain though if if the PM doesn't 
treat you right for whatever reason. I don't think things get that crazy. Um, for the part shows I've on, I've been on, nothing's been that crazy. Luckily, would it be accurate to say that you didn't face any um, any kind of like hair pulling moments uh, when you were like telling like artists what uh, production wanted and they were like giving you pushback or anything? Oh like no, that? no, that happens. That happens. Definitely happens. Definitely. Oh okay. It's not fun. But it never had to do with like you as a person. Like it never had to do with your age or like your the way you were coming across or anything like that. No, not with the artists, but with other higher ups. It it happened with other higher ups. Yeah. Did you ever have to deal with it in the sense that like what you were saying is important, but but the higher ups were not listening to you because they um they think that you don't know what you're talking about. Did that ever happen? No. One th- other things that happened is just getting too afraid to say what I notice. Oh, okay. Did you ever push past that um, that fear? Mm, it depends on who I'm working for. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Hey folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this Allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Mm-hmm. Obviously, we all would work better with the same similar personality types. Um, sometimes that's not easy when you have a, a higher up who's obviously a different personality type than you. Um, right. So I've done and I have worked with many other people who have different personality types than me. And that's where you try to find a compromise on your work ethic or your your stances and 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 so on and so forth um was it difficult very much difficult um very stressful i felt like most of my stress was managing um the wishes of 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 people above me and what i was able to see and hear um and then and again that's where imposter syndrome and 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 trying to like speak up also comes in especially someone who's a bit younger like as myself who jumped into it you know you kind of like Oh, I don't want to anger people. I don't upset people. So, you know, you kind of try to, you'll keep certain things to yourself because, you know, you'll be like, okay, this is something I can handle and doesn't have to go higher up. Was there anything that you learned on the way that eventually helped you push past that and speak up? One trick was if I notice something is wrong, you write it out, but you don't send anything right away. Oh, interesting. Because you could be assessing the information wrong. You could, Maybe it, maybe all the information you're hearing isn't correct, but you type it down so you actually have the right notes, and then you leave it there, and then you start observing. This is the information I have. Does this does this information pertain to the producer, the PM, the director? Who, like somebody who might not know these things, you might flag something, but you're like, well, who the hell is this flag supposed to go to? Right. It's like um, it's like a um team tag. Right. Or like, you know, like one of those pull, like those games where you have to get like a, like a flag and you have to bring it over to the crossing line. Like, um, where do I bring this flag to? 
um, and that's when you start assessing. You don't. That's why, like, you wouldn't because uh, at some production companies, you know, we all mainly work through like GChat, right? Would you send that GChat right away? But then you have to assess the flag first. Does it need to go to the PM? Does it need to go to the producer? Or does it go back to the senior artist instead, right? Like you have to assess all the different avenues and you have to know what the problem is. But writing it down definitely helps you like assess it with a clear mind instead of acting emotionally and just like presenting it to the to the higher ups right away or yeah. anything like that. Because that, it, it, it's scary because if you don't know the production, obviously if your you know, background's a different background and, you're, and you haven't done animation, it can get really nerve wracking because it's like, crap, this is something very serious, but I don't know where the seriousness comes to. Um, right you know and so right. yeah um, like sometimes it's a good idea to even hide certain problems to the higher ups because they don't necessarily need to hear about it right away oh for sure there's some things that like you know not right now that's not something that you have to deal with right now or that's maybe something personal with the artist that they don't need to get anybody else involved it's like oh you don't have to tell us about that right like i i don't have to report on everything it's so similar to second ADing as well because that's that's essentially my job as well yeah okay it's like you get all this information and you have to figure out who needs to hear it and when it hurts your brain sometimes. But, but then how, how long did it, how long did it take you to get to the second AD position? Um, it took me, I think three years of ADing, mm. um, to get into second ADing, which is like really quick. Um, that that's, that's considered like a really short time, um, in industry standards. But that's longer than me. I like just jumped into it like right into yeah. it and i think like what you what you did was awesome because it's like you actually had a couple of years to like i definitely grew into it yeah. whereas like you just kind of got thrown to the sharks and <laughs> the... for me like the, i was not dipping my toes it was like ah! and it's like you know but you can't tell people you can't swim yeah. you can't tell people you yeah. can't swim you can't tell people you can't swim no you can't no. you can't say this is my first time no 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 no, that, no. That'll, so that'll hurt you that'll hurt you even more people will like not trust you at all there's me wiping my face um, just thinking of all the all the all the water i had to tread where did you think this like sense of imposter syndrome came from is it is it something that like as soon as you got into this job you um you felt right away like oh I mean, right away, yeah, because it was alien to me. I've never been in animation. I've only watched shows, and I've only done my own weird 2D animated stuff. So it was definitely, like, imposter syndrome there. Um, I was also just dealing with a lot of, like, other issues in life. Like, right after you graduate, you're kind of lost, you know? You'll lose that sense of community because you're not surrounded by your friends and cohort. You don't, and, you know, I went to university, so I was very used to being amongst people my age. And, you know, us saying stupid memes, like... Like, you know, you're like, what are those? You know, I'm from that time. Like, like five. <laughs> right. And then, and then there you are, like, in the middle of, of a bunch of adults. Yeah. 40 year olds. Yeah. 60 year olds. Like, people. And I'm like, uh, what are those notes you got there, Greg? I mean, <laughs> oh, like, oh my gosh. Someone just dropped a, a nice, fat, dank report on my desk. You know, like, great. I will read that. I guess. Yeah, but I, but there's some there's some actually there's actually some some supervisors who had a lot of fun and they do they know the yeah. memes they love that stuff but there's some people who are like don't joke at all, they're very serious, but yet they're doing kids shows and they just have a stone face, and I'm like, how can you find entertainment when you don't look like you're having a, the time of your life right now, like yeah. you look like you want to crawl into a hole and expire. <laughs> Why are you here? But again, maybe that's what the industry did to some people, yeah. right? They they just 
stay here because it's what they're what they've done their whole life but they hate it so yeah i mean after you do it long enough you either you know hate it or you stop doing it <laughs> you bring up the quote that um what was it that um was it joker was it batman or like you know you... yeah i think it was like joker yeah yeah you live you live long enough to or or you either die a hero or you live long enough to become uh, the villain or something like that it's interesting that like certain people can just jump into a, a higher position role like this and just feel so natural mm. um, in in that role. Like they can just jump in and and immediately um, be comfortable telling people what to do and and uh, organizing it, uh, organizing things like that. And then there's like us who jump in and we're like, oh my god, are we supposed to be here? Yeah, and we freak <laughs> out. I mean, like, what about you? What was your first time feeling imposter syndrome? Um, the first time that I uh, started ADing and like, I guess my journey with this imposter syndrome thing is um, once it's interesting. I, I was tatting for the, I was the training AD for, for I think um, a year ish before jumping into the third AD. So it's still really quick, like moving up. Um, and as a training AD, I definitely felt like I felt like I wasn't in charge um, because I always had my first AD to you know to look up to, and and I was always listening to what my first AD said. But then, really, when I started getting into like the third AD position, where I was in charge of of the circuits, the trailers, and running that whole unit in order to um, get the cast up to set on time, meaning like I had to get all the vehicles um, uh, either to set or to to circus in order to um, make sure that there's no waiting on on shuttles to arrive, things like that. Um, and really, when I I went into that position to arrange those rides and arrange um the circus is when i started to realize that like the, my position had a lot of power and and um my mindset shift um was that i i began to realize like this is my job like all of these people look up to me to get this right in order to make sure that there's no delay in production and i can either um i can either like not believe in myself uh or I do the job right, and and I and and once that like realization hit, I just ended up making sure that I was always more prepared than um, than anyone else. Uh, so I knew exactly what was coming next, and I knew exactly like what I needed to do and who I needed to talk to to get things happening. And so that's, I think, why people like me as a AD is because I had that, I had that mindset shift. I, I made that realization that like, um, I just have to be more prepared than everyone else. That was just a lot of like working in my mind. Like, how do I become more prepared? Mm -hmm. How do I, what what needs to happen in order to make the day work? And getting that through my head was ultimately like what got me past that past that like imposter syndrome once i once people started praising me on on doing that i realized that okay 
I'm, I'm, I'm in the big leagues now. <laughs> be more prepared. That's that's for all you kids out there. Be more prepared than everybody else, even before the director. Yeah. Well, actually, probably not. But I mean, actually, actually, you know what? Maybe yeah. maybe anticipate something. I mean, there could be some things you can anticipate. I think it's different things, though. It like, is. we can we can speak to this in 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 the sense that like. What our job is is very different from what the director has oh, to think 100%. about. Like the reason why we exist is because the director don't doesn't have to think about what we're thinking about. Exactly, because they're all about the creative. Yeah, exactly. They're all about the creative, and we're all about you know making that happen, like the the logistical side of things to make that happen. And so, when I say preparedness, it's more about like being prepared of logistically what needs to happen so being a bit more prepared than your first ad sometimes i guess from that perspective yeah i mean well that's essentially what the second job is the first ad is always the most prepared however the second is in charge of making sure that you're like they're on the same page as the first and then uh also if there's anything that the second thinks of that the first hasn't like I'm, I'm. It's my responsibility to. It's a second's responsibility to bring it up to, to make sure these things don't fall through the cracks. Exactly, and so I guess we did fulfill that same similar role when it came to like you know, second ADing, production coordinating. It's like you know, different sides of the industry, different different names, different names. Yeah. Do you feel like our shyness or our uh, self doubt originally is is anything to do with like the bamboo ceiling that we? place on ourselves like have you ever considered that hmm. so when i was in animation there were a lot of asians <laughs> i'll tell you that <laughs> a lot of us asians, oh yeah yes a lot of us asians are in the animation or the or the or, or the storyboards or there's a lot of us asians there i'm not gonna i'm not gonna lie i mean not that everyone's asian but a good chunk of us are asian we we do say that, but again, there are issues of diversity in animation. You know, um, obviously, obviously, we need more female directors. We need more people of color who are directors. Same as it is on the live action side. Right. It's easy actually for that to slip through the cracks in animation because you don't see people's faces. Right. That's that's the good right. side and the bad side to it. Right. Like right. it's good sides because you know there's less. I guess there's like a little less ego involved because. For a lot of us, animate for a lot of the animators, it's about the acting because they're the actors; they're the ones who are creating the action. But obviously, when it comes to live action, you know, you need to get someone with a certain face, with a certain acting style, to be able to pull off right that star power. Um, I think that's why a lot of people are enthralled by animation, is because there's that the 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 uh, the uh, the resting of the ego, right? You can purely focus on creating a great story. Versus when it comes to live action, obviously beauty, hair, makeup—you got to look great for the shot, the angle. You know, you got to look shiny and glittery and, and beautiful a lot of the times, right? But um, I don't know. Key differences, I'd say, and that's why maybe, maybe, maybe it's comfortable for some of us Asians to to go that route because there's less ego pressure because maybe visually we don't fit into Hollywood, so that's why we would go to the back end. I mean, actually, that's exactly what it has been happening in Hollywood since the beginning of time. I'm a right, like a lot of Asians do work in the back. Like we worked, we worked on props or we worked on, right. right. BG, we would paint the backgrounds, you know, we would do all the more right. back end stuff. But we wouldn't go into those higher positions. Cause I mean, I mean, one can argue like it's, it's because we haven't necessarily seen ourselves in that role, um, in, in Hollywood per se for, for many years until, until very recently when there's a push for, you know, diverse storytelling. Yes. Um, 
Like the last time that we saw an all Asian cast was, I believe it was like what Double Happiness. Uh, yeah, before Crazy Rich Asians, before Crazy yeah, Rich Asians. So. a bigger Hollywood. Yeah, that was like '99 or something like that. I think that's a big indicator why, because maybe that's why we all believe as Asians, maybe we don't, we don't, maybe we're not meant to take those spaces, right? And I believe that's a lot of um, BIPOC people have believed just because the nature of media is, in a way, propaganda, right? Once you absorb that information, visual information is so fast to absorb. You take a look, it's absorbed. You take a look, it's absorbed. So. You know, over the years, of course, Asian Canadians or Asian Americans, you know, absorb all this information and say, hey, you know, maybe we don't belong there. Our parents say we belong to be doctors and other things. Yeah, exactly. I think like the more we can, you know, continue to encourage, um, I guess, just talking about Asian Canadians specifically or Asian, um, Asian American, Asian Canadians specifically, like just encouraging um, them to know that like there is actually uh, a potential to direct things like to to be in key creative positions because more and more um asian canadians are or asian um asian people in north america are um in these positions now is is really encouraging i think so too i'm gonna uh finish off with a few rapid fire questions oh shoot um, okay cool let's do it i'm i'm <laughs> i'm sharper than a knife at like 9 45 p.m <laughs> on a night before we go to work um, uh, what's, uh, the worst advice you were ever given? Oh God, for work. Let's say, let's say in, in film, uh, but in life too, if you have something good. What is the worst advice? I actually don't know anymore. What's the worst oh. advice? What is the worst advice? What is the worst advice? I'm trying to think back to my negative experiences that I've locked away. Thank you, Andy, for <laughs> opening this trauma because all, all the bad things, all the bad advice, I've locked it away in a box because it led me down a very bad path. I think. Oh, I mean, don't you know, don't necessarily go way deep in there. <laughs> like, not advice, but it's like maybe after yeah. learn, going through some of the trenches, it's like don't believe 100% in what your higher-ups say sometimes. Don't take their word for like verbatim. That one. Yeah. I think that's so important to, to highlight as well. It's like, um, even though they're, they're technically your boss, it doesn't mean everything they're saying is always accurate. Exactly. Um, you have to, like, think about human. it. And yeah, think about it and, and make sure that yeah, you, you assess it yourself yeah. as well. It's a gut feeling too. You have to know you have to know your gut when you're talking to them. It's like, oh, was that right what they just said? Or am I confused? Or like I don't I'm not I'm very unclear about your direction or what you're communicating to me. Um so yeah, don't take their word for verbatim because sometimes I did do that because I was like, Okay, they're higher up, they know better than me. I guess I'll do it and then things happened and i was like okay i guess i guess it's my fault because you know i listened to you so now i know not to <laughs> now i know to just like <laughs> yeah to just you know you are my higher up but i'm gonna triple think about what you just said now not like once yeah yeah, yeah. just because they're older than you doesn't mean they're right doesn't mean doesn't <laughs> does not mean they're wiser that's how yeah, yeah that's exactly it uh what's the best advice you're ever given always ask for a second opinion Ooh, yeah and this is really good. Again, it does go back to the first thing of like what I learned that was wrong. Second thing is always ask for a second opinion because you never know that, you know, maybe before you pull the trigger on something, is it actually right? So you try to try to find people you trust um, either industry or out of the industry to help you kind of walk it through because you don't want to pull the trigger on something and realize you've just, you know, aimed at the wrong target. That and trust your gut. They do come hand in hand, right? Like you, if you, if you know you shouldn't be, you know, pulling the trigger then you seek the second opinion. Um, yeah. And, and if your gut is fearful, calm down. 
so that you can think about it clearly so you don't do things out of fear. I've definitely done so many things out of fear, um, and that led me down right. the wrong hole. Right. Write it down and reassess, as you were mentioning exactly. before. Exactly, if you're really unclear. If you're really unclear. Because sometimes, obviously, you know, so many things are happening. You're in a cloud of muddiness. Write down so it gets out of the muddiness and read it over and over and over again until, like, the clouds part. And you're like, hallelujah. In your opinion, what does a more diverse film industry look like? What I see it as is not just, um, it's not just about, you know, about what you look like. It's also about your heart and your intention of who you are as a person. Um, diversity comes from um, not just your skin color, but the shape of your body, um, the, 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 your, your own thoughts and opinions of your, of your brain, um, your, your abilities and disabilities as a, as a, as a, as a person, because film is again, the industry of storytelling and stories come from all walks of life. And what I would love to see in, in, in the industry is everybody from all walks of life enjoying and telling stories, right? And we're of all ages, sizes, different con countries, continents, right? That's that's what I see would be beautiful if we could see that a lot more in the industry. We can have the same color, but ha be very different people yep. and have very different experiences. And I think like, you know, reflecting that in storytelling is important as well. Mm -hmm. Political beliefs, genders. So I'm bringing up more because I'm trying to think of more things that we need to populate our, our industry with. But that, that, that that's a lot of those, right? People like that, um, everybody. I just, how I see industry is I want to look at and see everybody and the best of everybody as well. Not just because you want to like, I just need to have that like Asian guy. We need to fill a quota, right? Um, I know definitely <laughs> yeah. that, is, that, is a, uh, that is a mindset that we have in Vancouver. But it's not just about the skin color. It's about the credential of the whole entire individual itself. Like, are you like BIPOC? But are you also like smart? Are you uh, like, are you like, you know, all these different... Um, Basically, what it is, it's intersectionality. You want to make sure it's not just diversity, but everything has intersectionality in, uh, available, right? That's why I put it. Um, well, thanks a lot, Josh. That was awesome. Yeah, thanks a lot. Uh, we're going to uh, end it here tonight. Well, that was awesome. I had a great time talking with Josh. The way he rose to a high-level position so early on made me reflect on my experience moving up the ranks and as an assistant director. Um, and especially as a second AD, it took some time to find confidence in my voice and really believing that what I had to say and, and what I had, what I was thinking was really important for the process of filmmaking. If I didn't speak up, then something could very much go wrong. The process of reclaiming my voice and seeing my own self-worth in the position I'm in was something that I really had to take time to discover myself. I'm hoping that with these conversations, um, we can help inspire uh, ourselves and other people to believe in ourselves earlier in our careers. Um, because the really important thing to remember is that we all deserve this. If we move up, there's a reason we do, and we all have to start somewhere. We're gonna make mistakes, but the best thing we can do is use those mistakes as opportunities to learn from them. There's a reason why we get the opportunities we get, and that's something that I need to tell myself once in a while as well. 
If you want to learn more about Josh and what he's up to, uh, check him out on Instagram, which you can find on our newsletter. We put a lot of information on that newsletter, so uh, really check it out, um, as we really want to create a platform to keep track of all the things happening in Vancouver that can help us build up this community. So sign up if you haven't already and follow us on Instagram and Facebook. Thank you so much again for joining us today and we'll see you on set. Thanks for listening to BIPOC Credits by Andy Wong. This episode was produced by Nightingale. Our editor is Rihanna Toy. Graphics by Joshua Lamb. Theme music by Peter Robinson and Patrick Fiore. Intro and outro voiceover by Mike Lee. Thank you to our community partner, culturebrew.art for supporting us. Don't forget to like us on Facebook and Instagram at BIPOC Credits. If you're enjoying what we're doing here, consider supporting us on Patreon and subscribe to our newsletter to get all the juicy information we didn't quite get to in this podcast. Thank you once again for listening to BIPOC Credits. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on.